0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, either your paper copy or your digital copy, I want you to hold it up right now, okay? Let's hold it up and you repeat with me, this is God's Word. Is God's word. I, believe is I believe it is true. I believe what it says about me. I believe, says about me. I, believe says about I believe what it says about God. It shows me how to know God. It shows me how to live for God. Now take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah in the Old Testament is one of the minor prophets. Back when I started playing golf in college, I didn't pick up a golf club until I was in college. And um, started playing in college and um, wasn't very good. I'm still not very good. But one of the very first times I played, I was driving and that's what you do when you hit your first ball. You drive, you hit off the tee box, and, and I was driving, and, and like I often did, I didn't hit it in the fairway, I hit it in the woods. And if you don't know anything about golf, you don't want to be in the woods. And so I was thinking to myself, this isn't good, this isn't where I wanted to be, and the person I was playing with said, why don't you hit a mulligan? Now I was new to golf. I didn't know anything about golf I didn't know anything about this thing called a mulligan and I said well what is a mulligan and he said well a mulligan is a do-over a mulligan is a second chance a mulligan is when you get to hit your drive again and I thought to myself I like this thing called a mulligan and so from then on out whenever I would play If I hit a shot and it wasn't a very good shot, I had a mulligan to play. Now, I know, for you golf purists, I know that there is no such thing as a mulligan in golf. I understand that. If you are playing golf on Sunday and you're playing for money, you cannot take a mulligan. But I'm here to tell you that I am thankful that God's Word tells us that God gives us mulligans God gives us do-overs God gives us second chances and that's what the book of Jonah is really all about now if you've never read the book of Jonah, if you've never studied the book of Jonah you probably think that the book of Jonah is all about this guy that gets swallowed by this large fish this whale and probably, if you've never studied the book of Jonah, if you've never spent much time in the book of Jonah, you've probably thought that's what the book is really all about. And you ask questions like, is that real? Could a man really be swallowed by a large fish, spend three days in his belly, then be vomited up and survive? Could this happen? And if it could happen, how did it happen? And we hear sermons on that, about how the book of Jonah is true and and how Jonah really did get swallowed by this large whale, this large fish, and, and how it could happen and how he survived. But I want you to know that if you get caught up in that part of the story, you've missed what the book of Jonah is really all about. Because this book is all about second chances. It's all about the fact that God is a second chance God. He always gives us second chances. Now again, if you've never read this book, the book of Jonah is a little different than, than most of the minor prophets we've been looking at. You see, most of the minor prophets contain primarily the message of the prophet but the book of Jonah doesn't contain primarily the message of the prophet in reality the message that the prophet gives is only eight verses in this book this book primarily tells us the story of Jonah it reads like a novel now the bible tells us that that Jonah was a prophet a real man who ministered during the reign of Jeroboam the he was the king of Israel sometime between the years of 790 and 750 B.C. Historians tell us that it was a time of of military and economic prosperity. But it was also a time of spiritual and moral decay in the nation of Israel. But Jonah wasn't called to give a message to the people of Israel. God was called to give a message to the people of Nineveh the capital city of the Syrians the most powerful cruel wicked people on the face of the earth when the Assyrians would invade a country and they would conquer that country they would bring out all of the people they would stand the the husbands the fathers in front of their wives and children and they would butcher them And then they would take their wives and their children off into slavery. They were known for their cruelty and their torture. They would gouge out people's eyes. They would skin people alive. They would burn them at the stake. They would bury them in the sand up to their neck to die. They literally built a pyramid out of the skulls of the people that they conquered. Whenever they would conquer a a country, they would cut off the head of the king and they would hang the head of that king on the gate leading into the city of Nineveh. These were cruel, wicked people. History tells us that, that when they would invade countries and when they would invade cities, there were literally entire cities that would commit suicide So that they would not have to be tortured by the Assyrians. Think of the most cruel, the most wicked, the most evil people you could possibly imagine. Then multiply it and you would have the Assyrians. And God told Jonah to deliver his message of judgment to those people. Now what I want us to do this morning is is take a few moments and unpack Jonah's story. And as we do, we discover two incredible truths about God being a God of second chances. And these two truths can change your life here and now, and they can change your life for all eternity if you truly grasp what God is saying. Now here's the first truth. This is what we learn in the first part of the book. God gives us second chances for eternity or for service. God gives us second chances for service. Notice how the book begins. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the part of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now Jonah's story begins with God speaking and giving Jonah a job. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to announce judgment against them because of how wicked they are. But instead of getting on a boat and going to Nineveh, instead of getting on a camel and heading to Nineveh, he heads in the opposite direction. He catches a boat to Tarshish, a city that is on the coast of Spain. Now we like to give Jonah a hard time for, for disobeying God, for refusing to follow God's word and, and obey God's will. But let's give Jonah a break if we can. Remember, God was calling him to to go to the capital of Assyria. The most cruel, the most wicked, the most evil people on the planet. People who had no regard for human dignity or life. Imagine waking up this morning with a clear word from God. God has told you, I want you to get on a plane. I want you to go to Syria I want you to go into one of the cities that is controlled by Isis and I want you to go up and down the streets of the city publicly loudly proclaiming the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob is about to destroy you and judge you for your cruelty what would you do if you woke up this morning and that was what was on your heart. You felt like God told you to get on that plane, go to Syria, go to one of their cities, and announce from the street corners that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to judge you for your sins. Then I imagine if you're honest, you wouldn't say, well, I would get on the plane and go. Remember, you're in church. You need to be honest what you would most likely do is you would say, Goodness gracious, that was a bad dream. (laughs) You would think to yourself, I misheard God. I mean, after all, I can't even go to Syria right now. The International Mission Board won't let anyone in there. Our country has issued a travel ban against Syria because it is so dangerous to go there. I mean, God wouldn't call me to a place that our mission board wouldn't let us go. God wouldn't call me to a place that our country tells us not to go. Certainly I have misheard God. Certainly I haven't understood God. And, and by the way, if I went and I did that, I started publicly proclaiming from the three corners that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to judge you, they would come and they would kill me immediately. And what good would that do? I mean, that's what we would say, wouldn't we? I mean, let's be honest. Let's quit playing our church games. Let's quit putting on the spiritual front. If God called us to do something like that, we would certainly find a way to get out of it. We would certainly convince ourselves that God would never tell us to do that. And yet... That is exactly what God told Jonah to do. You see, choosing to obey God is not always easy. To be honest with you, choosing to obey God is seldom easy. For Jonah, it was risking his life. For Jonah, it was dangerous. In his mind, if he was going to obey God, it meant certain death. So before you judge Jonah ask yourself am I willing to do whatever God calls me to do or am I going to play it safe am I going to choose comfort and security over obedience to God do we choose our vision for the future rather than God's will for our lives do we choose safety and comfort all the while talking about how spiritual we are. I'm afraid that's what we do. We choose jobs so that our families can be close. We choose a life so that we can have fun. And along the way, we hope to serve God. And, And perhaps that's the reason that we don't see God act up and act out more often like he does in the Bible maybe you're like me and when you read the Bible you oftentimes wonder why God doesn't show off the way that he did in God's Word why does God not do acts of biblical proportion like he did in God's Word maybe just maybe it's because you and I don't take risk of biblical proportion maybe the reason is because you and I don't trust God to intervene in our lives we don't trust him in the situations of our lives to the point that we're willing to get on the camel we're willing to get on the boat and go to Nineveh even when it means certain death but why was it why was it that Moses saw God part the Red Sea was it because he went to the most powerful man of his day and said let God's people go was that why why was it that that Joshua was able to see the walls of Jericho come tumbling down was it because he crazedly marched around the city walls for seven days blowing a trumpet trusting God why was it that David was able to see God Lay a nine-foot giant with a slingshot and a few rocks? Was it because he trusted God and was willing to go down in that valley? Why was it that Elijah was able to defeat 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel? Was it because he was willing to get up on top of that mountain and trust God to bring down fire from heaven? Why was it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Were unscathed, unsinged in that fiery furnace. Was it because they trusted God in the midst of the furnace? And why was it? Why was it that Peter, a man just like you and I, was able to walk on water? Was it because he trusted God in the midst of that storm to ha- somehow, some way, hold him up and help him defy gravity you see the reason that you and I may not be seeing God work in biblical proportions is because we are unwilling to trust God in biblical proportions maybe just maybe there's somebody in this room this morning that God is called to do something absolutely crazy and you've said no you said you're not willing to do it maybe maybe just maybe it's because you you don't think you can you don't think you have the abilities you don't think you have the education you don't think you have the resources maybe just maybe it's because you just don't want to what God's calling you to do is is out of your comfort zone but I want you to know this morning that if God has called you to do something you need to follow him. You need to trust him. You need to obey him. But Jonah didn't. God called him to go to Nineveh. Instead, he got a boat ticket to Tarshish, the opposite way. He ran from God. And, and that's what we oftentimes do, isn't it? I mean, God calls us to do something that's difficult, something that's hard something that's painful something that's out of our comfort zone and what do we do we run from God but (laughs) do you realize how foolish that is I mean the God who created the heavens and the earth the God who made everything out of nothing the God who is not only omnipotent the God who is not only omniscient but the God who is all-present You can't run from that God. David said in Psalm 139, Where can I go to escape your spirit? I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride to the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. You can't run from God. But that's what Jonah tried to do. He tried to run from God. He got on that boat and... So if you know the story, you know what God did. God brought a storm, a violent storm that threatened to destroy and sink the boat. If your Bibles are open, look at verse 4. It says, but the Lord hurled, hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Sometimes the storms that we face in life come from our enemy, but there are other times that the storms in our life come from God. Here's what I know you can't run from God without encountering a storm of some point when you go in the opposite direction from God you're always headed into the eye of the storm you see the same God who steals the storms when we need him to can stir the storm to get our attention So here's this storm. It's it's tearing the ship apart. All of the sailors are scared to death. And Jonah is sound asleep in the bottom of the ship. Listen to what it says in verse 5. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. You see... There are some of you here this morning, you're running from God's perfect will for your life and you think you're okay because you're at peace. But understand, you can be at peace and be out of God's will. You can rebel against God, you can refuse His will and still believe that everything is okay in your life. That's where Jonah was. But understand, When you're out of God's will for your life it not only affects you it affects everyone that is close to you everyone on that ship was about to lose their lives you see Jonah's disobedience didn't just affect him it affected everyone around him you need to understand that your disobedience to God will affect not only you, it will affect your family, it will affect your friends, and it will affect everyone who is close to you. Finally, Jonah acknowledged that the storm was because of him. Listen to what it says in verses 7 through 12. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the guys and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. What was this awful storm coming down on us, they demanded? Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? John answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who made the sea and the land. The sellers were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked, What should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Well, eventually they threw Jonah overboard and the storm stopped. But that's not the end of the story. As Jonah began to sink, God brought a large fish to rescue Jonah. Look what it says in verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now can you imagine Jonah? Here he is. He is thrown into the sea. He is sinking down to the bottom. And all of a sudden this large fish comes up and swallows him whole. He is sitting there in the dark in the belly of this beast thinking when is all this going to end? I, I mean I've run from God and God's brought a storm I, I get thrown overboard prepared to die and God doesn't let me die now and I'm stuck in this fish with all this seaweed and this nastiness but here's what I know you see oftentimes The thing that we think is sent to destroy us is really the thing that is sent to deliver us and lead us to our destiny. And that's how it was with Jonah. He was probably sitting there in the belly of this this fish thinking, okay, now I'm going to finally die a slow, painful, awful death, but instead. Instead, he is delivered, and he is able to fulfill his destiny. Inside the fish, Jonah prayed. He surrendered to God, and God delivered him. Uh, Look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 10. It says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish, and then verse 10 says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out into the beach. So here was Jonah. He had been in the belly of this fish for, for three days, And God took him to the coast where he would be the closest he could possibly be to Nineveh. And the fish got sick of Jonah. Had food poisoning. Threw him up. Now it's important for you to understand something here. One, God will never force you to do his will. Did you hear me? God's never going to force his will upon you. He will call you. He will command you. He will prompt you. He will bring storms in your life to get your attention. He will bring things in your life to rescue you and and get you to the point where you can do his will. But he is never going to force his will on you. Jonah prayed. And he realized that he needed to serve God and the fish threw him up and you need to understand something here Jonah didn't fail at his task he refused the task there's some of you here this morning who who you've tried to do something great for God and you failed and you feel like a failure you're not a failure Failure is refusing to be obedient to what God has called you to do. Jonah was living as a failure because he refused to be obedient to what God had called him to do. And there are some of you here this morning who are refusing to do what God's called you to do. Some of you because you don't feel like you can do what God's called you to do. There are others of you who are refusing to do what God has called you to do simply because you don't want to do what God has called you to do. But understand, one is just as bad as the other. Believing you can't and not doing is no different than simply saying you won't and not doing. In both instances, you are refusing to obey God here's what you need to understand if God has called you to do something he is going to equip you to do what he wants you to do whatever that may be there are some of you here this morning who feel like you're too old to now fulfill God's calling for your life are you breathing You think you don't have the education to do what God has called you to do. Could it be that God has been educating you all this time? You don't think you have the stamina? Understand, if God's called you to do something, He is going to equip you to do it. And the good news is, God will always give us a second chance. Here's Jonah. A prophet of God who doesn't fail at his task. He refuses the task. He runs from God. God gives him a second chance. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all so listen to me don't let your past failures or your past rejections keep you from realigning your life with God's will today you can get on track you can surrender to his plan for your life it's never too late has God called you to preach well preach Has God called you to the mission field? Well, go to the mission field. Has God called you to work with children or to work with students? Well, get started. It's never too late. God is a God of second chances. Some of you may be saying, I've failed. I've ruined my reputation. I've lost my family. I've done horrible things. It's never too late. God can pick up the pieces of your life and he can paint this marvelous portrait of his grace as he gives you second chance after second chance. There was a time when I ran from God. I know for some of you this sounds strange, but, but God called me to preach when I was 12 or 13 years old. You say, can God call you when you're that young? Yes, God clearly called me to preach my dad was a preacher and to be honest with you I really didn't want to be a preacher and and I started running from God and for several years in my life I ran from God I decided I was going to be a doctor or I was going to be a marine biologist I was going to do anything but preach but God continued to pursue me God brought storms into my life until one morning at 2 in the morning I fell down on my face before God and I said God whatever you want me to do I will do and I for one am so thankful that God is a God of second chances that when I said no to his call earlier on he didn't say okay that's it one chance that's it I am so thankful when I turned my back on him and I didn't just run from his call but I ran from his perfect will for my life and I began to sin I am so thankful that God didn't say you are so scarred you're so messed up you're so screwed up that I can't use you anymore God is a God of second chances so what is it God's called you to do? God gives us second chances for service. He did Jonah, and he will with you. But there's a second truth, and we're not going to spend near as much time on this one, but it's as important and more important for some of you. And that is God gives us a second chance for salvation. When, When Jonah called the second time, Jonah obeyed. And it says in Jonah chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 and and verse 10. Now listen to what it says. On on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And and then it goes on in verse 10 and it says, When God saw what they had done and, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now I want you to remember that the Ninevites were the most wicked people of their day. They were involved in every kind of sin imaginable. They were violent with no regard for human life. They were immoral committing every kind of sexual sin. They were godless serving and worshiping pagan gods which were not gods at all. And God had every right to judge them. And he did. He rendered his verdict against them. They were guilty and they deserved death. But when Jonah brought the message of God's judgment and the people heard the message the Bible says that they believed from the greatest to the least from the king to the peasant and everyone in between they believed and we are told that they repented and God gave them. And can I give you some good news this morning? He'll do the same thing for you. He'll do the exact same thing for you. You may be here this morning and and you're thinking in your mind, I've gone too far. I've crossed the line. But as long as you're breathing, you haven't crossed the line. God never gives up on us. No matter what we've done, no matter how bad we've been, God can and God will forgive. He loves you and he longs for a relationship with you. That's why we're told that God is patient in regard to us, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to repent. That's God's desire. And he'll forgive you. What do you have to do? You have to believe you have to repent you have to turn from your sin and trust god that's why jesus came to this earth to take god's judgment off of us jesus came to seek and to save the lost which i'm the worst but i've got news for you you're pretty bad too We all need God's mercy. We all need God's grace. We all need God's forgiveness. And there are some of you here this morning who you're saying, man, God couldn't forgive me. If he forgave the Ninevites, he can forgive you. All you have to do is repent, turn from your sin, and believe in Jesus. He'll forgive you. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want us to do two things. First of all, for anyone here this morning who isn't a follower of Jesus, you haven't turned from sin and placed your trust in Jesus alone to save you, I want to give you the opportunity to give your heart and life to him this morning. You say, what do I have to do? You have to repent and you have to believe. And so if that's what you want to do, I want to encourage you right here, right now, to pray this prayer with a repentant heart, humble before God. Dear God, I come to you this morning, humbly asking you to forgive me. I am a sinner. I am tired of living life my way. Please forgive me. I believe you love me. I believe that your son died on the cross to save me. I believe that your son defeated sin and death by being resurrected from the grave. Today, I'm placing my faith, my trust, my hope in Jesus alone. Come into my life. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. Make me new, I pray.